Good morning, church. My name is Matt, and we'll be reading from three passages from the gospel according to Matthew. Will you turn with me to chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, on pages 1386 in your pews' Bibles. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of a harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Our next reading is in chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. This is found on page 1,398. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Jesus, as Simon Peter, answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Our last reading is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20 which can be found on page 1,422. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. So we ask that this evening, once again, you might do so, and you might show us why your son, the Lord Jesus, is worthy of all praise. Amen. Well, let me have my welcome to that of Nick's before. My name's Jeffrey Lynn. I'm one of the staff here. It's great to have you with us here tonight at our 6pm gathering for Commitment Sunday. I particularly want to welcome the family and friends of Danica, of Monica, San and of James, some of whom have travelled long distances to be here with us tonight. So uh, we're delighted to have you here. Uh, Can I ask everybody, please, to take out the leaflet that you were given as you came in and open it up uh, on the inside. You'll see an outline of what I'm going to speak about for the next little while. Uh, There's both the passages that Christina just read for us, uh, some notes there. Uh, The eagle eyes amongst you will notice that there's a couple of blanks that you'll need to fill in as well. There's a couple of questions I'm going to ask you, and uh, there's some pens in front of you you can use to fill in those answers, uh, particularly if you like doing well at tests. Um, We are continuing our series in Belong. Uh, Belong is the newcomer welcomer course that we run throughout the year, designed to help people know what it means to belong to this church family. 
You could see at the top left of the handout that last week, in the first of these, we thought about the God we belong to. He is a God who is rich in mercy and who speaks to us through his word. This week, we come in point two to the global mission task force we belong to. Because what this God is doing throughout his world is bigger than just here at Trinity City. Uh, it's actually the perfect passage and topic for us for Commitment Sunday uh, because those who are being baptised are joining a worldwide enterprise, uh, what I've called a global mission task force. And we're going to see that through the three passages that we just read to us, uh, which I'm going to say a few things about. Uh, and at the end, like last week, we're going to hear a short interview with a member of our gathering about what it means for them to belong to this part of God's enterprise. If you look on the handout there, you'll see the three things that I want to say are Jesus has compassion, Jesus will build his church, and Jesus sends his disciples to make more disciples of all nations. Let's just work through each of them one at a time. Firstly, Jesus has compassion. Let me read again Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Follow along, will you, in your handout. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The key there is verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder how you feel about crowds, how you feel when you see large crowds of people gathered together. For some of us, of course, the answer is we feel a little bit nervous, perhaps scared. I guess that's a legacy of COVID in particular. Others of us, you see a crowd and you just feel apathetic apathetic or indifferent. But my guess is that for many of us, when you see a crowd, what you feel most of all is inconvenienced. A few years ago, my wife and I discovered that if you go to the movies in the middle of the week at 11 o'clock in the morning, there is no one there. It's the best time to go. It's like a private screening. And so now whenever we go in the middle of the week on a Thursday at 11 and there's another person there, I get very irritated (laughs) that they've dared to crash my movie. How do you feel about crowds? When Jesus sees crowds, he has compassion. Why? Because what he sees are people who are lost. People who are helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. It's a reminder of what we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 2. He sees people who are dead in their transgressions. What they desperately need is to be made alive in Christ. Isn't it reassuring to know that The guy who runs this global mission task force, this is how he feels about people. Jesus has compassion. What happens next in this passage is that he changes the metaphor from crowds that are like sheep who need a shepherd to workers for a harvest field. Because Jesus is not just full of compassion... Jesus is not just someone who has empathy or good intentions. Jesus cares about outcomes. And what he does is that he enlists us to be involved. He recruits workers for the harvest field. 
Now, before we see what role we might particularly play, see what Jesus says about the likely success of this enterprise that he invites us to join. Point two on your handout there, on the left-hand side, Jesus will build his church. Jesus will build his church. Just focus in on verse 18 with me of Matthew 16, the last verse there. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Just two brief comments. Firstly, when Jesus says, I will build my church, I will build my church, He's reminding us that it's his church. It's his church. That he's the one who's in charge. That he's the one who calls the shots. That ultimately, he's the one who's responsible for mission success or failure. Often when people are new to our church, they ask all sorts of good questions about church leadership and how we're organised and who's in charge and they generally want to know who the senior pastor is. Can I say that in a very real sense, the senior pastor of this church is not me? That's not false humility on my behalf. That's the truth. This church belongs to Jesus. And for that, I'm immensely thankful and also daunted at times. Secondly, when Jesus says, I will build my church, change the emphasis there, I will build my church, what he does is give us a great confidence to get on board. See, Jesus is saying that nothing's going to stop him from succeeding. In fact, not even the gates of Hades can overcome his church. And I, for one, want to say that's why I'm so thankful to belong to something which cannot and will not fail. Not if Jesus says it won't. Don't you want to know before you join a new venture or get involved in a startup or a fledgling movement, that it is guaranteed to succeed. This is Jesus' church. He will build it, and nothing will overcome it. Of course, one of the dilemmas for us is that the reality, as we look around, is that it doesn't really feel like it this, these days, particularly in the West. If you look on your hand up there, I thought I'd ask a couple of questions that give a sense as to how Jesus' church is going in the world at the moment. Let's see how we go on this one. First question, what percentage of humanity identifies as Christians today? What percentage of humanity identifies as Christians today? Well, the answer, according to Gina Zerlo, this is the book that I referred to there, recent publication, it's called A Guide to the World's Largest Religion from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. I've been reading this book this year, a chapter a day, it just goes through one chapter on each of the nations of the world, it starts at A, goes to Z. She says that of the 8 billion people in the world, nearly 2.6 billion identify as Christians. So the answer is about 33%. 33%. About one-third of humanity identifies as Christians. But here's the second question. What percentage of people groups have insufficient resources to reach their own people group? What percentage of people groups have insufficient resources to reach their own people group? That is, there's more than just 200 nations in the world. There are thousands of individual people groups with their own culture, their own language, their own customs. 
In fact, the Joshua Project, who I've referred to there, they estimate that there are 17,500 people groups in the world, of which they say 7,500, or, and here's the answer, 43%, have insufficient resources to reach their own. How is Jesus going at building his church? Doesn't feel great at one level. And yet he says he will succeed. And that's what enables us to persevere. And today, on Commitment Sunday, we officially welcome five new brothers and sisters to Christ's family. Now, clearly when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's talking about what we call the church universal, the church that spans time and space. We'll see what he says about any particular local church like this one uh, next week. But before we do, here's the third question for today. How will Jesus build his church? How is he going to fulfill his mission? And this is the third and final point down on the bottom left of your handout there. Jesus sends his disciples to make more disciples of all nations. Read with me the last passage, Matthew 28, verse 16. Let me read it out, bottom left of your handout. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. How will Jesus build his church? Well, you remember back in Matthew 9 that Jesus said, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Well, here in Matthew 28, at the end of his account, here comes the fulfillment of that prayer. Jesus sends his first 11 disciples to make more disciples, to make more disciples, and eventually to make disciples of all the nations of the world. A couple of things to note there in uh, verse 19 in particular, it's in bold so you can't miss it. Uh, The main idea here is that Jesus sends us to make disciples. That's how his church will be built. It's true that he talks about, in verse 19 and 20, going and baptizing and teaching. And those are important ways to make disciples, but the main objective is to make disciples. But the other comment is that, once again, Jesus' plan is for more than just a handful. It is for the whole world. It is for all nations. And today I want to say, isn't it a wonderful relief to know that Jesus cares about what goes on in every nation of the world? In every corner of the globe, Jesus has an interest. Jesus has compassion on the crowds who are lost like sheep everywhere. And because he does, it means that when we come to Christ, we belong to something that is not just confined to our neck of the woods. Our Commitment Sunday today is the fruit of just that. Monica, for example. Monica is 
from right here in South Australia. James is from Western Australia, which, as we know, is like another country. And then, of course, we have San, Danica and Nicole from overseas. Make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. Now, here's a question for you. Why do you think that Jesus didn't stick around to bring his mission to a conclusion? I ask that because in Matthew 28, Jesus has arguably just completed the hardest part of his mission. He has died for sin. He has been raised to life again. But at this point, he's about to return to the Father's side in heaven and he's going to leave the rest of the mission, the mopping up, you might say, to us. To you and me. And I wonder if at times, if you find yourself asking, I wonder if I would have done that. I wonder if I would have left the risk of the task, taken the risk of leaving it to all of us. Well, I don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is that Jesus is bestowing an incredible honour and privilege on us. The Lord of the harvest is inviting us into his plans and he is giving us the opportunity to play a part in the greatest worldwide movement and enterprise that we have ever seen. And if you're a little bit uncertain, which is fully understandable, then remember Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And Matthew 28 verse 20, Surely he is with us always to the very end of the age. Once again, this is an invitation to belong to something that cannot fail. Jesus says he will build his church and even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then every breath he gives you and every situation he puts you in And every opportunity that he presents you is a chance to make more disciples. A job, a career, a housing location, a family, a neighbourhood, a friendship group. Everything that Jesus affords you is an opportunity to make disciples. Because... That's what Jesus sends us to do. I wonder, is this how you might introduce yourself at a party when you're meeting people for the first time? Not as, I'm a student or I'm a lawyer, I'm a nurse or an accountant. Not as someone who's retired or a homemaker, but as a disciple maker. Would it be obvious to others from the way in which we live, from the things that we talk about, from what we are known for. To put it as bluntly but as gently as I can, Jesus didn't come all this way, Jesus didn't go through all that he did just to make our lives a little more comfortable and a little more enjoyable for 70 or 80 years. He did it for something much bigger and much grander. Now, just as those first 11 disciples 
were faithful to the cause. They heard what Jesus charged them with and they went and made more disciples. Who made more disciples? Who made more disciples? And so on for 80 generations until someone led each one of us who are believers to Christ. Just like them, can I say, let's not let it fall on our watch. That's actually the story behind this church. It's a picture on screen for you. Uh, It's a picture of the HMS Buffalo, which was the lead ship in the fleet that came from England in 1836 to establish the new colony here. When they left, uh, English believers wanted to ensure that there would be a witness for Christ in the new settlement, and so they raised enough funds to send out a wooden church building with the fleet so that when they landed, they'd be able to build a church. This church, in fact. Now, unfortunately, the voyage took so long uh, that by the time they got here and they opened up the, uh, the, um, the boxes when they got there, they discovered that it rotted uh, in transit. Apparently, Ikea and flat packing hadn't been invented back then. Uh, and so it took them a couple more years, not until 1838, actually, uh, until they had uh, gathered enough resources to lay the foundation stone for this church right here on this site. And this is largely the same building uh, that was first established in 1838. Because ever since... In this church, disciples of Jesus have made more disciples of Jesus because that's the global mission task force that we belong to. Well, what does it all mean for us? Look at the right-hand side of your handout. Let me just talk about a few brief implications. A few brief implications. Firstly, at Trinity City, you'll hear a constant exhortation to evangelism. At Trinity City, you'll hear a constant exhortation to evangelism because people are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And what's more, people from every nation of the world are coming to us. And so, as a church, we will send some disciple makers to the ends of the earth. But for most of us, we don't even need to leave home to be involved in this global mission task force. Look at the next slide on screen. Uh, This is a picture, this slide on screen. This is a picture of Explore. I talked about Explore last week. Uh, Explore is the four-week outreach course that we run throughout the year for people who aren't Christian, uh, who want to find out more about Jesus. You can come along and ask any question or just listen to what others are interested in. The picture here is of the most recent course at which, here's the part that I want to tell you about tonight, Uh, you can see there's actually four groups running simultaneously around different tables. Two of them were in English, one of them was in Mandarin, and this is a little bit new for us as a church, one of them was conducted in Spanish. Turns out that in recent times in South Australia, we've had an influx of South Americans Uh, apparently we hear that visa rules have changed to make it easier. Uh, Kind of like, actually, over the last couple of years, we've seen more and more Cantonese coming out of the Hong Kong diaspora. Isn't that amazing? The nations are coming right here, eager to become disciples of Christ. And yet, 
should hardly be a surprise. Jesus said he'll build his church and nothing will overcome it. Can I say to the members of this church, anyone can welcome someone who's an international? Actually, the reality is most internationals uh, just want to meet Australians and to practice their English. So if you'd like to be involved in this great global mission task force in this way, just fill in the communication slip that's on the side of your leaflet, pop it in the box afterwards and we'll let you know how. Well, on your handout on the right-hand side, point four, belonging to Christ's global mission task force. Belonging to Christ's global mission task force. I want to finish with just a few observations about how we go about doing this. Now, the first you'll see there is a reminder that we here at Trinity City, we are part of the wider Trinity network. We are part of the wider Trinity network. Uh, The Trinity network in Adelaide currently comprises 14 churches scattered across our state. Uh, The reason for that, of course, is because there are 1.7 million people in our state, most of whom are lost, like sheep without a shepherd. And because of that, over the last 20 years or so, we've been involved in church planting, in starting new churches. What we're going to do at this point is I'm going to pause and we're going to see a short video uh, which talks a little bit about how we've embarked on this journey. Uh, You're going to meet a fellow called Paul Harrington, who's the senior network pastor, and he's going to talk a a little bit about that. Have a look on screen. A few years ago in Sydney, billboards were erected at railway stations for commuters to read on their way home from work. They said, you'd be home by now if you lived in Adelaide. Adelaide's a great place to live. We have stunning beaches, outstanding wineries, easy access to bushwalking in the outback. We've got world-class sporting facilities, stacks of festival and culture, and we still have affordable housing. It's accessible, it's friendly. But the most significant thing you need to know about Adelaide is that it has over a million people who desperately need Jesus. Holy Trinity Church was a church plant from England over 180 years ago. The congregation now meets in the oldest church building in the heart of the city of Adelaide. But we're not that interested in old buildings. What we really want to do is reach new people for Jesus. The Trinity Network is a growing church planting movement. We're a movement because our aim is to plant churches that plant churches so that in God's providence, we might see exponential gospel growth. Our prayer is that these gospel communities will impact everyone in South Australia with the life-changing news about Jesus. There are lots of practical reasons why church planting makes sense. Research indicates that church planting is one of the most effective ways to connect with unchurched people. But church planting is not just a pragmatic exercise in effective evangelism. At the heart of it all is something much more profound. We plant churches to reach people because God stepped into this world to reach out to us. So we courageously and lovingly proclaim the gospel. We want people to have the opportunity for a life that endures, to be with God for eternity. We need to plant churches because at the end of the day, heaven and hell hang in the balance. Can you imagine a city with hundreds more vibrant gospel proclaiming churches established across the suburbs and towns 
impact their local communities with love and generosity. Can you imagine thousands of passionate disciples meeting to pray for their neighbours, their workmates, families and friends? And can you imagine God calling unbelievers to himself through these new churches? This is the prayerful desire and the heartbeat of the Trinity Network. We are ordinary people who have an extraordinary God who can do all things. Okay, if you have a look on the slide, next slide on screen. Um, as I said, there's 14 churches in the Trinity Network. Um, it's worth pointing out that the reason we st- one of the reasons we started planting churches is because we kept getting knocked back over our site redevelopment plans. Uh, as you know, for the last 30 years, we've been looking to try and expand the site here, but we've been unable to. So one of the conclusions was that instead of trying to drag more people into 88 North Terrace, we should try and establish churches in different parts of the city. And yet today, there are 14 churches. On the next slide, thanks, uh, you can see a, t- um, a picture that shows... Um, us here at Adelaide, we're the ones who planted uh, five churches over the last 20 years. Um, So at Allgate, Brighton, Modbury, Colonel Lake Gardens and Lockleys. And uh, in God's kindness, each of those churches has planted again. Four of them you can see there. The fifth one, Lockleys, hasn't yet, but it only started last year. Um, And actually, what I want to say tonight is let you in on some exciting news. Uh, They have just hired a church planter to join them next year. Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't talk about these things to try and big note the Trinity Network in any way. Uh, actually, church planting is incredibly costly. Uh, if you stick around with us for any period of time, you'll know that. Every time we plant, uh, there's the pain of sending people away. Last year, we sent 150 people to three church plants. And it's painful each time. But the reason we do it, it's not to build a name for ourselves. It's because people are lost like sheep without a shepherd. Second thing to say about how we belong to Christ's Global Mission Task Force, there on your handout, uh, we partner with other organisations to make disciples of all nations. We partner with other organisations to make disciples of all nations. That's because, obviously, we can't reach the world on our own. Uh, There's a number of external partners that we work with, particularly for evangelism. Uh, We have a handful uh, rather than all of than all the partners out there so that we can do those partnerships really well. You can see their logos there. Let me just say something about some of them. Uh, you'd be well familiar with them. The Church Missionary Society. Uh, this is a great organisation that sends gospel workers overseas to other parts of the world that most of us will never reach. Uh, AFES, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, or ES, or FOCUS, as you're familiar with. Uh, well, it's our local mission field here, particularly at uh, North Terrace with... City West next door and Adelaide Uni up the road, as well as the universities around, but particularly there, uh, it's a key mission field and we've been partners there for some 30 to 40 years. You can see some of the other mission partners because they are so significant. BCA, the Bush Church Aid, their charter is to try and reach rural and remote parts of our state. Uh, In the middle, Engage Work Faith and City Bible Forum, Engage Work Faith and City Bible Forum, Uh, We partner with two organisations here, both of which are trying to reach workers because most of us spend most of our life at work and people are still lost even at work. And the Bible College of South Australia at the right end we partner with because uh, their role is to raise up future leaders of God's people 
uh, to equip all of us for works of service. Often people ask how you get involved with these partners and what we do is that we give them profile but they want you to connect with them directly so that uh, they can encourage you further and give you opportunities to be involved. Well, let me finish. You'll see at the bottom right-hand side there, point three, belonging to Christ's Global Mission Task Force, we are a constantly sending church. We are a constantly sending church. Here's what I want to conclude tonight. Uh, clearly, Trinity City uh, is a church with high turnover. Uh, after you've been around here for a while, you'll realise that. We're a church with high turnover. I want to say that's both good and hard. It's good and hard. It's good being a church with high turnover because it means we are always welcoming newcomers. Uh, in fact, at the start of every Belong course that we run, I ask people, why did you come here in the first place? And the answers range from... My friend invited me to, this is actually the most common, uh, I walked past and saw a sign out the front or I saw a crowd of people out the front or I found you on the internet. Do you know that over the course of the year, every Sunday, we would have, I estimate, on average, around 20 newcomers every week. It's great being a high turnover church because we're always welcoming new people. But it's hard. Because just as in a city church we are always welcoming new people, just as we're always saying hello, we're also always saying goodbye. And so my constant mantra here at Trinity is that everyone leaves Trinity eventually. Everyone leaves Trinity eventually. So in fact, I prefer to say not that we're a high turnover church, rather we are a constantly sending church. We are a constantly sending church. And I prefer to say that because that's what Jesus says we're to be on about. We are to make disciples of all nations, going, baptizing and teaching. And the fact that everyone leaves Trinity eventually just means that when you do, for whatever reason, we want to send you on better equipped to make disciples of all nations. Because wherever you end up, you still belong to the same global mission task force, just posted to a different branch or a different division of the same glorious enterprise. What that means is that as a church, one of the things that we will never be is possessive or clingy of people. That's not gospel freedom. Don't get me wrong, we'd love you to stay as long as you can, and of course we'll miss you terribly when you go. But we'll be okay, because Jesus is the head of his church, and you belong to him, and we all belong to his global mission task force, wherever he puts us in his world. Next week, we're going to see how you get involved in this particular church as long as you're here. So, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have saved us and that you have sent us to make more disciples in his name uh, thank you for the great privilege that we have of being part of this Global Mission Task Force. 
we pray that uh, wherever you put us in your world, you might give us the great delight and joy of seeing others come to Christ. And we pray it for his sake. Amen.